What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another week and another episode of Unscripted, where we bring you professionals from all walks of life, touching their backstory, their mindset, and how they navigate through adversity and opposition. As always, I'm your host, Akeem Haynes. Before we get into this, this week's episode of the show, do us a huge favor. Head to Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Chartable.com, and leave a rating and review of the show. This small act was a long way in moving the podcast forward. We appreciate you for taking the time. It truly means a lot to us. Now, this week on the show, he's a nine-time world medalist, including two silver medals at the Olympics in the 110-meter hurdles, two-time world indoor champion uh, in the 60-meter hurdles, and he gets busy in the 100 as well, too, and the 60 is the real deal. You know, he's he used to compete in his own clothing brand. He's an entrepreneur, sprinter and hurdles coach. And as of 2021, he was inducted into the USATF Hall of Fame. Talking about Terrence Trammell stops by the show. I had heard a lot of great things about Terrence. Each episode, I try and think of a word that resonates with, with the person. And as I was listening to this episode back, editing it, um, the word that kept coming to mind and kept coming to thought was integrity. In this episode, we touch on his upbringing, uh, the culture and shifts in, in Atlanta in the 90s, the promise he made to himself and his brother after watching the 1996 Olympic Games right there in his hometown in Atlanta, why he picked the University of South Carolina and the transition to the collegiate ranks, how he dealt with pressure on and off the track, the importance of support. And brotherhood he cultivated with his Omega Sci-Fi family. Shout out to all the Omega men out there. Uh, His collegiate experiences uh, and his Olympic experiences. What it was like competing on the circuit with some of the best in the event, in the discipline, such as Alan Johnson, Li Zhang, and Nir Garcia, and so many others. Um, And how being inducted into the USATF Hall of Fame wasn't just about him and so many more great stories in between. Look, if you've been following Terrence's career and you're wondering what has he been doing, uh, what has he been up to, then this is going to give you some insight into those things, but also reminiscing about all of the lessons that he learned along the way and just the journey of where he started to where he is today. So without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Terrence Trammell. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite audio podcast platforms and on YouTube. And if there is a guest that you would like to see on the show, DM us on social media at underdog, A-K-H. That's mine. The unscripted social media is unscripted with A-K. Let us know in the comment section as well on YouTube, and we will do our best to try and get those guests on the show. We want to continue to serve you in the best capacity that we can. So without further ado, enjoy this week's episode, Terrence Tremell. Hey, what's up, Akeem? How you doing? I'm well, man. How how you doing today? How's everything on your end? (sighs) Pretty good, kind of non-stop, but you know, that's the way it is. Well, man, I appreciate your time, man. I want to be respectful of it. Uh, I want to get you out of here. To I know you're doing coaching right now as well, too, and a lot of things happening, I'm sure. But uh, man, I want to I want to start here, man. Um, I'm big on gratitude. I believe it's a great way to start the day. I believe it's a great way to finish the day. So I want to ask you today, Terrence, what are three things you're grateful for today, man? Um, thankful to be alive, first and oh, foremost. Come on um, now. <laughs> grateful to have, you know, my 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 health and, and my strength and my and a sound mind. Uh and my daughter, you know. So definitely grateful for those three things. Those are those are the first three things that come to mind, but the list is a lot longer. Man, I'm looking forward to our conversation today, man. A couple of people have hit me up and said, man, you got to try and get Terrence on the show. I said, we're going to see what we can do. So, <laughs> man, I want to start here, man. Uh, originally from Decatur, Georgia, right? Georgia is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a hot place, a lot of culture, a lot of, lot of things happening there. But what was it like growing up during that time, during that era for you? Not maybe just on the track or, but just at the time, what was the dynamics like? What was some of the things that you were growing up environment-wise? So environment-wise, there were several different things. Um, as far as the, the, 
the need or the desire to be great. Um, that was really huge within my uh, school dynamic. Mm. Um, Southwest DeKalb High School, which we affectionately call the University of Southwest DeKalb. Uh, we claim that to be uh, an HBCU in itself. Um, when you walk in those four walls, you just have a sense of a major, major culture of greatness, whether it's winning on the field of play or just in academics. Uh, the band has been phenomenal. So in all facets, and it was I, the era that I came up in, we almost took it for granted because it was a daily thing. Everybody was uh, showing that they were the best. You know, it was a it was a competition thing. And it was one of those things where everybody just had this air about them, that they were great, that greatness was around. Uh, so not only that, but understanding that Atlanta in general um, was the central point of the civil rights movement and all of the things that went on with Dr. King. And in the 90s, um, music really took off in Atlanta. Um, well, the culture, I mean, because we always had it, like we always knew it, but the culture finally went mainstream, I think, uh, in the 90s. And so that was an era where everybody got to really see Atlanta for Atlanta. Um, then you had the 96 Olympic Games. And I think that's when the world saw Atlanta and it's, it, it hadn't been the same since. So um, growing up in that era, I mean, I... If I could do it all over again, I would. I mean, it was a great, it was a great time to be young, great time to be active and um, just doing what we were doing. Sometimes, you know, experiences can teach us lessons or maybe we learn something from our community or maybe our parents instill something in us that sticks with us today. Maybe a life lesson. Maybe it's something that they say that we don't quite understand until 20 years later. We're like, OK, that makes sense. Was there something like that for you at that age that stuck with you? Maybe your parents said it, a teacher said it or you just learned it directly or indirectly. Was there something that you still carry to this day? Um. My dad would always say things like plan your work and work your plan. And as as easy as that sounds, I mean, corporations are built just off of that saying alone. You know, when you when you plan things out, when you make a roadmap and you just follow those things, yeah, there'll be, you know, bumps in the road and that sort of thing. But at the same time, you have it mapped out. You know where you're going. Uh I don't see people using their GPS and, and well, they don't get lost too frequently. Yeah. Um, but that was one. And, and, and my mom, um, my mom would always just say, you know, uh, she had this little saying where, you, you know, you keep sucking until you succeed. You know, <laughs> and that was that was like one of her thing. And my 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 high school coach, my track coach, um, Napoleon Cobb would always say it's not the will to win, but the will to prepare to win. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in this in this culture where everyone has been so asphyxiated with the destination, uh, it's truly the journey that makes you who you are. And the things that come along with the destination are just byproducts of who you've become during the journey. Mm. You spoke about the 96 Olympics, right? <laughs> Exciting time, obviously. Uh, but you also spoke about the culture of Atlanta and having the games right there in America as well, too. You spoke about Southwest DeKalb. And, you know, in 1997, you were the uh, uh, high school athlete of the year. But when you were in high school and you saw the games, Right. What what was going through your head at that time? Was it ever a thought of like, man, I could be there. This is something that I could do. Or was it just something like, man, this is cool. But it was just kind of left that. What what, no, what with your head when you saw that? That was the defining moment uh, that that I would say that moment was the beginning of my Olympic journey mm. uh, because I, I played football and um, what position. State. So I started out at receiver and then I moved over to free safety. Now, Terrence, and, um, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, right? I uh, uh, I play football myself. I've been talking okay. to a lot of other athletes, and some, and they all say that they're nice, right? But you know, oh. we are in our own biasness. Now, Terrence, were you nice? Now, <laughs> I was all state. 
Okay. okay. Yeah, I was all state. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I got more I got more letters in football than I did in track, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So um yeah. And then um up until last year, I coached football. So, you know, it's it's truly football is my first love, mm-hmm. you know. So uh I put everything into that, but uh, going back to 96, my brother and I, I actually had the opportunity to go down and watch the games. And that experience in itself was life changing. I mean, uh, when they talk about kids being able to get exposure to see what they could one day become, that's a prime example. Um, now, let me tell you what I witnessed on that evening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I saw Gail Devers run, I think it was the uh, prelims and the quarterfinals of the women's 100-meter hurdles. I saw Marie-Jose Perec win the 400 meters that day. I saw Michael Johnson win the 400 that day. Um, I also saw Carl Lewis win the long jump that day. Wow. Uh, and then Alan Johnson broke the Olympic record that day in the one tens. And, you know, I was, I was talking to a middle school a couple of weeks ago and I was telling them the difference between how things are and how things were at that time. At that time, there weren't really cell phones like that. So everybody had uh, the cameras, the disposable cameras. Or the <laughs> yeah. Cameras. And you could see the flashbulbs go around like flickers, you know, as these stars were going around the track. And it was amazing. And to witness basically a stadium full of the world's dynamic and culture, you know, people from all different nationalities and backgrounds, all convening in one place cheering for their favorite athletes. I mean, it was nothing like it. And and when the athletes were down in the blocks to get prepared to start, and you could literally hear a pin drop. And we're talking about tens of thousands, if, if not quite 100,000 people in the stands. Um, and, and at that point, I, I told my older brother, in four years, that's where I want to be, you know, and uh, – there's something about speaking things into existence and, and, and working toward that, you know, so um, that's what started it. Where did that, where did that belief come from right away, Terrence? Cause sometimes people say certain things, right? They're like, yeah, I want to be that in four years. And then the next year may not go their way. And the next year may not go their way. And it starts to dwindle, right? When, when we speak certain things, life is going to force us to double down and we have to truly trust our faith and our words to be able to get there. But where does that internal confidence come from, from you? Was it something that was instilled in you early? So, yeah, that, that comes from my faith. Um, growing up in the church, um, being around uh, my grandparents growing up over the summers, um, I, I went to church a lot with them and um, big faith-based family. So, that was instilled early on. And it was one of those things where if I really just hold on to that imagination or hold on to that thought and, and, and put the energy and emotion behind it, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of leads the way. My brother used to always tell me to follow the script, you know, because um, and, and, and I and I really believe that, you know, once once you have something in, I mean, it's downloaded, you know, it gets downloaded in, 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 into you into you and um the journey starts to open itself up as you continue to pursue it and so um i was going into my senior year in high school when the 96 olympics came so um i had another season of football but i knew kind of at that point i didn't think that was going to be the end of my football career i thought i was just going to put it on hold for a few years you know and come back um and so everything that I did was based around me being the best like track athlete I could be at the time. And so I set out for national records. I set out to be national champion, uh, you know, a lot of things like that. Like I wanted to be um, like one of the top guys in track and field in high school, 
And so um, just being able to keep that in, in, ingrained and, and working toward that, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough for that to happen. You obviously had a great high school career, uh, Terrence, but the transition from, from high school to college, you went to South Carolina, uh, loaded question. Why did you pick South Carolina? How is that process like? Because, you know, whenever I go speak in school or as I mentor young athletes, I always tell them too, you know, you got to fall in love with the program, not necessarily the school, because mm -hmm. sometimes you go to a big school and you're like, man, this is going to be great, but the program may not be for you. And you're going to be there right. kind of miserable, right? So how did you pick South Carolina? What was the process behind that? Okay, so going back to the faith-based foundation, I was bombarded with schools at oh, the time, yeah. <laughs> which was a great was which was a great situation to have. Let me just say that, but I was overwhelmed. And at the time, my pastor gave me three scriptures to read. He said, "You read these three scriptures when you are trying to make a huge decision." And so um, I read those three scriptures for the seven days. He said, if you didn't get it in the first seven, do another seven. And so <laughs> that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So South Carolina was really how my radar for several reasons. One, the world and Olympic champion used South Carolina as his training ground, which was mm -hmm. Alan Johnson. And his coach was now the head coach at the University of South Carolina, which is Curtis Fry. Not only that, but where I spent all my summers and holidays growing up as a kid in South Carolina was maybe an hour away. So I knew I had family that was close. And so when it all came down to it, it was just one night on my 18th birthday. I went out with my brother and we were just kind of sitting around. Uh, we were at, we were at the, uh, I think it was a TGI Friday and just kind of at the bar, just kind of watching the games and stuff. And oddly enough, the bartender was an alum of UNC Chapel Hill mm. who ran for coach Fry. Mm. And so we took that as the sign that, okay, well, this is it. Like this, yeah. it kind of came out of nowhere so to speak, but um, that's what it was. And so at the time, Carolina was a big throw school, um, had several, several Olympians uh, that, were throw that, that were throwers from the university. And so I felt like based on the conversations I had had with Coach Fry, that I could kind of help turn the culture around from a sprinter's perspective. And so that's exactly what we did from my 12th grade year in high school, USC finished, I think, 40th at the NCAA championship. And my freshman year, we were 11th and we were constantly top 10. I think we maxed out at like number four one year at the NCAA championships. And so um, from there, it just kind of, blossom into a, a major um, contender every year from a track perspective. And the women's track team actually became the first national championship team in uh, school history. And mm. so um, I like to think that being able to have someone like me early on helped draw some other talent there that they could do that with. So you know, man, it is it is so funny you say that um, where you went there, you said you would kind of shifted the culture. I remember when I was uh, at my junior college, Barton Community College, and I was uh, getting ready to pick my next school. You know, I had signed to go to Florida State uh, to mm -hmm. play football and run track out of high school. Um, but one of the math that I took in the ninth grade, the NCAA didn't accept anymore. So I was ineligible. So I went mm -hmm. to junior college and um, my second year, I was like, man. I've, I felt conflicted because I'm like, man, Florida State at the time, Coach Ken Harden always got love for him. He, he, he always stuck by me. But in my heart, I was like, God, I don't know what to do because I feel like if I go to Alabama, I'll change the culture. But if I go to Florida State, I feel like I would just be another number. Right. And I, and I remember praying one time and I was like, God, what, what, what do I do? And 
it was one of those ones where uh, uh, the scripture in Proverbs says, lean not on your own understanding. And I was like, okay, I don't understand why I feel conflicted, but I must feel conflicted for a reason. Yeah. So I went to Alabama and exactly what you said, um, they were ranked maybe 60 something in the, the season before. But when we got there, we moved up to number 10, right? Yeah. And then we went to number nine and then we were second in NCAAs in the four by one. So all of these things came in, transpired and worked out. What was the transition like for you, right? Because now you're adjusting to the school, you're adjusting to more people, you're adjusting to, you know, who is Terrence Tremel off the track? What other interests do you have away? Uh, what was that time like for you, um, trying to balance everything accordingly and just trying to figure out who you are as a young man? So my situation was kind of unique because at the time, the clearinghouse thing was kind of new. And so... Um, I I qualified, I think, for the clearinghouse, I want to say in April of my senior year in high school. Yeah. We had to get the paperwork in um, and it sat on someone's desk for two or three weeks. Um, <laughs> don't know who that person was. So <laughs> I missed the drop ad date by, I want to say, three days. Mm. So I was in Carolina, but I had to work. Mm. So I had to work and um, one of the seniors on the team had an apartment and his roommate was his teammate from football. And so I slept on their couch. So I went to work, slept on their couch, paid a third of the rent. And I actually trained with the open athletes because I mm. couldn't train with the team. Because you had to work. Right. Well, I couldn't train with the team at the time because it was an infraction. It would have been an infraction. Got it. So what looked to be somewhat bleak was actually a blessing because I get to train with Alan Johnson fresh out of the gate. Mm. Uh, and we had Melissa Morrison and Tony McCall and uh, Monique Hennigan was down at the time. And a lot of these athletes were Coach Fry's athletes at North Carolina. And so that gave me an early opportunity to kind of see how I would perform, you know, as an athlete, as a young athlete. And then in the spring of 98 is when I finally enrolled in school. And so for me to enroll in school during track season was a heck of a, 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 a transition because, you know, you have, and, and I was taking 15 hours, you know, so, <laughs> Yeah, the full schedule. Right. And so, you know, there will be a week where you have like five exams. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, my gosh, it was it was it was crazy. But I I really was fortunate to have a high high school coaches. My, my high school football coach is a legend in this area as well uh, for getting guys scholarships um, on teams that we actually played against. He was big on that. Um, mm. and, and so, um, my, my upbringing was really good. So, so I, I didn't lack confidence. I did not lack confidence or determination or drive or anything like that. And, um, that was one of the things that I think really prevailed as I matriculated through universe, the university of South Carolina, because it just gave me an unrelenting will to be successful, um, and, you know, just being completely transparent, I didn't have much to come home to. I mean, like my 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 dad was dealing with disability at the time and my mom uh, had been working for like 22 years at a hospital and then they had new management. So she got laid off when they bring new management, they bring in their people. So it was a struggle. So I had to do it. You know, uh, like they said, I burned the boats. So. That's basically that was basically my approach. And so um, it took a little while to get accustomed to certain things. But I want to say after my second semester, so the fall of 98, I think I was fully acclimated. I understood what was required and, and, and what I needed to do. And um, I just I just continued to press forward. Did you ever feel 
uh, maybe like heaviness on your shoulders, right? You just talked about your dad having some disabilities and then your mom getting laid off like that, that can play on a person's mental psyche, you know, because then it starts to feel like, you know, it, practice may not seem fun. It may seem like, look, this is a way out and this needs to work, right? Did you, did you ever feel that heaviness on your shoulder of like, man, how am I going to balance all this and what kept you grounded? So I did feel like this was the way out. Like this has got to work. Um, and still in the back of my mind, you know, football <laughs> yeah. wasn't totally out of the picture. So <laughs> if this doesn't work, you know, I, I, I I'm going go over here. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I don't feel like, I don't, I don't feel as if it was going to be a complete bust if track didn't work out, but this was my primary reason. I mean, outside of the education to be at the University of South Carolina. And one thing that I did not do that a lot of my teammates, uh, you know, I didn't go out a lot. I didn't, I didn't drink, um, you know, like drinking was, has never really appealed to me just because it just tastes bad. I'm expecting That's what I say. <laughs> right. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't stand around and judge people for drinking or say you shouldn't do it. Like, no, do do what you're going to do, but understand now you're going to pay the taxes on everything that you do. So make sure that you're ready for practice. Make sure that you're ready for the meet. And, and that's how I've always looked at uh, people enjoying themselves. I mean, that was just my choice not to do that. Um, I wasn't against it, but I was really, uh, I, I was extremely focused. It was, it was almost like the, the, the pattern I was on. Um, it was almost as if I couldn't fail. Mm. So, so um, at times there was heaviness. There was like, you know, I was overwhelmed at times, but I think that's a part of growing up. And I also think that by me not being coddled growing up, yeah, helped me to kind of lean back on some of those times to say, okay, I can get through it. I just don't know how, mm-hmm. but I made it through it because, you know, we're here talking about it now. So, um, I understood what it was like not to have. So if there was something that I didn't have, I didn't miss it mm, uh, and just kind of created it later on. You know, it's, it's again, it's so funny that you say that because it's like, you know, it, it, you're explaining what I did as well, too. You know, um, I didn't really go out too much because I was like, yo, this plan has to work. <laughs> like, like it has to go this way. Um, and I was completely OK with that. I always encourage my team. I'm like, no, you guys go out. You go and have fun. Right. Let me know when you get there. But I'm just, you know, I got to do some other things. I was already at a disadvantage. I needed to make sure I get all the advantage that I could get. But one thing I found it, uh, interesting, Terrence, was uh, you're also an, uh, a mega sci-fi man, right? Walk, right? walk me through that, man. Why did you pick? Why did you pick there? What was that transition like? What 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 moved you towards that? So a lot of guys that were influential in my life as as a kid were Omega men. Uh, my high school football coach that I just talked about, um, several of the deacons at my church and at my grandmother's church were. Omega men and uh my brother definitely wanted to become one and we're nine years apart so basically whatever he did I wanted to do as well yeah and so I guess and so that was pretty much it um I just felt like I just felt like from what I knew of the men in my life that that made the biggest that had the biggest influence um if I was going to do anything involved with the National Pan Hill, it was going to be that. It wasn't going to be anything else. And so I got uh, invited by one of the upperclassmen on my team um, to join his fraternity. And, and I told him flat out, I said, hey, man, I see what you guys are doing, you know, right now. Y'all are really, you know, doing your thing on the yard and that whole thing. But I was like, you know. It's only one way I'm going. And if and if the chapter is not on the yard while I'm here, then I'm doing that grad chapter. And so he knew, like, I meant what I was saying about. So being able to still uh, touch people's lives 
you know, just through the organization and being being available as um, as a, a a role model of sorts and, and uh, a tangible uh, inspiration. You know, I think that has been a big a big part of me being in the organization and uh, uh, as we like to bridge build. So that's that's always been our thing. I'm going to say a word, uh, Terrence, and I just want you to give me the first thoughts that come to mind to you, man. Um, okay. Brotherhood. What is what does that mean? You being a man of Omega, right? You being um, your brother being nine years older than you. Uh, the men that showed you uh, certain things, right? It's a it's a brotherhood, right? And 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 there's always support that is needed. But when I say brotherhood, what does it mean to you? Brotherhood to me means love. Mm-hmm. Um, it means uh, safety. Mm-hmm. So if I can be vulnerable with you. If you can tell me you prayed for me or just shoot me a text, you're thinking about me. That's a little push that'll get me through whatever day I'm having. Wow. And from that, you know, bonds are are, are, are made stronger. They're fortified. And so that's the biggest thing is, is, is not about it's about who's willing to stand in the gap for you, who's willing to intercede um who who's able to come to your defense if you get in a situation and then hold you accountable when it's just you two or the group of you you know yeah i'm not gonna let nothing happen to you but you shouldn't have done that to put us in this situation that sort of thing so that's that's what i hear when i hear brotherhood i hear safety Man, I feel I feel like we're about to have a church service, man. That's what I that's, that's that's a great breakdown, man. Thanks for that. Um, let's get back on the track real quick, Terrence, because obviously you had a bunch of NCAA titles indoors and outdoors. Uh, what was what was the one that that meant the most to you during your time in college? Obviously, everyone is different, different experiences, and it means different one, different years. But what was the one that said, you know what? I think that I can compete with the best in the world um what was that one it's odd that we talk about it because i had and see this was the good thing about running under coach fry and being um a a pretty popular athlete like coach will put you in some situations where you get some exposure Mm -hmm. Um, what do you mean so I want to say maybe my second or third meet in college as a freshman was the Boston Indoor Invitational, which was on the uh, USATF tour. And so I ran and I won that meet indoors in Boston. And that's what did it Mm. for me. It was like, whoa, you know, like. I just watched two of you guys in the world championships last year. Mm. Um, not granted, it's early. These guys just had a long season. They're just trying to get tuned up. I don't know that at the time. I mean, you know, I'm trying to get in what I can get in, you know. <laughs> Let me sucker punch them and run off. So, so that was my mindset. Uh, I mean, you know, let me – and so when I saw that, I was that's when I was like, okay, I can do this, you know. Um, and later on in the season, uh, my freshman year, I vividly remember having a big breakthrough. Uh, so I, I set a, a personal best at the time. Uh, it was 1332. Mm. And I got third place behind Alan Johnson and Dwayne Ross. And this was me at Clemson. And I had gotten third. And when I found out what I had run, you know, I was, you know, ecstatic because uh, I had run 1320s in high school. Yeah. And so, you know, the, 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 the hurdles go three inches higher uh, in college. And so to get to that point that early, you know, I was 
I was elated. So, um, so to answer the question about belonging, uh, it was pretty early my freshman year because I knew that I still had to develop. I knew I had experiences to gain. I had to grow. I had to get stronger, that sort of thing. And so that was that. But as far as my NCAA title, um, the first one always sticks out. Yeah. But I would say when I won the 60 meters my junior year after winning the hurdles um, early that day or the day before. So I did the double. I won the 60-meter hurdles and then came back and won the 60-meter dash. Sprinters couldn't tell you nothing. <laughs> At all. At all. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I was either strongly admired or strongly hated, you know, because, <laughs> because of that. But hey, <laughs> regardless, they were talking. Regardless, they were talking. It's interesting, right. Terrence, because man, you you you've been so so internally focused on the process, whether you knew it at the time or not. You were always just like, you know what? I need time here. I'm going to get faster. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. 1996, you saw the Olympic Games. You said, at the next one, I'm going to be there. Right. So now we're at the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, Australia, and it seemed like everything kind of lined up for you on paper. It looks like this. Right. You won NCAAs um, indoors, outdoors. Uh, then you went on to uh, uh, USA Championships. You got top three there and you made the team. So I want to ask you a loaded question and, and, and you can answer however you please. What did it feel like when you made the team? Right. And then you get to the games. Was it everything that you thought it would feel like prior towards the final? And then once you answer those two, we'll get to that final part. Okay. So making the team was probably the biggest, the, I mean, I can't even describe like words can't describe what it felt like for me to make the team mm. for several reasons one um we were starting to go through some challenges at at south carolina with 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 our dynamic uh coach athlete dynamic mm. um and i watched a lot of my teammates and training partners like well, teammates from college not make the Olympic team, and not, but they were young. They were they were all young. Um, and I looked at people that I watched on TV who had looked at making the team for the first time, and this was like their third or fourth attempt, and they get like third. I mean, like fourth or fifth place, and so it's a lot. It was a myriad of of thoughts and emotions going on, but. Um, and I tell this story when I tell my story that the guys, the the veterans in the 110s were easing up at the line. They were cruising, you know, sub 13-2. And my personal best at the time was 13-2. It was 13-28 at the time. We gunning all uh, the way through. <laughs> right. My, my season's best at the time was 13-30. So... You know, they're essentially two tenths faster than what I am. And and I had no idea of how I was going to level up to meet these expectations. And so it it it, it was pretty overwhelming. And I and I also tell this in my story. I went to Allen as we were walking to the uh, to the competition track from the warm-up track, and I just told him how nervous, nervous I was. And he said, hey, man, just treat it like practice, you know, and that changed like everything at that point, because I knew I had put it down in practice. I knew I was always like on his hip in practice. Um, and so I felt like, OK, I'm consistently on his hip. Uh, but when it's the finals and everything is on the line, you're not on Alan Johnson's <laughs> hip. You know what I mean? Like it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. So. He crossed the line. It's 1297. Mark Creer crossed the line at 
13, 11. And the crazy thing is I had no idea that I had gotten third, but they knew on television I had gotten third once I saw the broadcast. Yeah. But we were still waiting and it was a blanket finish. And so when my name got up there for third and I ran 13, 19, I was beyond my, it was like an out of body experience. Mm. Um, because I just said that I wanted to do this. Four years and prior. So, right. And so making the team was like a 10 layer cake. <laughs> making the finals was the icing on that cake. Mm. And that medal was just like the sparkles on the candles that wouldn't blow out. Mm. You know, it was that sort of thing. Um, and so going to Sydney, of course, it was surreal because we're in a whole nother part of the planet, you know, and the culture is different and, and the temperature is cool. And you are now at the big show that you said you wanted to be at four years prior. And I took everything in. I saw boxing. I think I'm, I don't think I went to swimming, but I did go see some boxing matches and saw the uh, men's basketball team. Yeah. And that sort of thing. And just really experienced what I could of Australia because that was before 9-11. So, you know, the security wasn't, it wasn't as strict at the time. Uh, of course, we had it in the village, but prior to, I mean, you know, um, post 9-11, it was, you know, dramatically different. Yeah. So just being there and qualifying through the rounds and, and uh, having an opportunity to get further and further into it and, and, and making the final. Um, I felt as if I know I can get fourth because the way I've competed, I've been top three at a lot of these meets in Europe. Yeah. But I know there are three guys that are defending Olympic medalists and there is the defending world champion and world number one at the time who was really on a roll. And I would see myself getting, I would get second and third at a lot of these meets. And so um, I said, if I can get, if I can, if, if somebody has a bad night, I can get a bronze, you know? And so that was kind of my mindset coming in and um, the gun goes off. Well, going back to walking out of the tunnel, um, walking out of the tunnel prior to the finals, that's when it all hit me. Because we're walking out of the tunnel and you see the stadium open up a little bit more with each step. Cameras, lights, screaming. Right. USA and, so, and so Kathy Freeman had just won the 400 meters, which was Australia's country one. Yeah. So they were nuts. I mean, it was you couldn't hear. That's how loud it was in there. And so coming down the tunnel, walking onto the track, that's just what I thought about. And um, uh, we knew the moment was real once they did all the introductions <laughs> and you could hear a pin drop in the stadium. You knew that this was the moment, the defining moment. As 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 someone who said, uh, uh, you know, four years ago, I want to be here. And now you're here and now your name is announced. Right. This. This uh, this young man from Decatur, Georgia, is finally here. What you said, man. Were you obviously you were ready for the moment, right? But were you ready for the moment? You know what I'm saying? Like mentally, what was going through your head at that time? Were you just like, oh crap, this race is about to start? Am I, <laughs> am I really ready here? I think some of everything kind of flashed up. Uh, kind of flashed. I felt like I was ready. It was more or less, I felt so supercharged with emotion mm. and energy because of where I was at the moment. And my thought was, just don't hit the first hurdle. <laughs> yeah. that, that was it. And see, at that time, everybody could be awarded a false start. So 
Mind the game. gun could go off. The gun could go off, and it could be a legit gun on the first one, or it could be legit on the ninth one. And so we had to kind of deal with that as well. And so the gun goes off the first time. It's a false start. And so that really wasn't a good one for me. That first, And so I was kind of glad we got that one out of the way. But at the same time, I just felt so exhausted. And all I took was one hurdle because of the magnitude of the moment. And um, the gun goes off again. And I literally like run for my life. Like I yeah. know where we are. And I have a near Garcia in lane three who who would eventually be the Olympic champion. He was the world number one at the time. And then I had Allen in lane five and then Mark Creer in lane six. So I'm in fourth most of the race. But I'm fighting, I'm scrapping, I'm giving it all that I have. And so Mark and Allen, I think they were kind of banging hurdles a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. They were really at it. And I go from fourth to second, I think, between hurdle eight and hurdle nine, um, or hurdle nine and hurdle ten, and uh, just run like crazy to the finish line. And when I looked up, I saw that Garcia's name was first, and then I was second with another PB. And I was kind of delirious, like looking up, like I'm, you know, um, I'm another out of body experience. And for me to get silver when I felt like bronze would have been the major come up. Yeah. Oh, it, it, to me, it, it just that part of the story just could not have gotten any better, you know, for me. And you I know. knew at that point in time, things, things could change back on the home front. Mm, you know, I, 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 I was watching it the other day and I could see the excitement in your face because when, when, um, and near one, you went over to him and it was hugging him. And, right. I, and then you started to realize, Oh, wow. Right. Um, when you got home, what was that like? So I had like a caravan waiting at the airport when I got home. Oh man all of my mom's friends and, and, and people from the church and my school and that sort of thing. They all gave me like this little indoor parade at the airport <laughs> and it was cool. It was really cool. And the first thing that I did was hop because they had a limousine for me, hopped in the limousine and went to watch my high school play in their football <laughs> game that they had. And I lifted my medal up. And the marching band played the Olympic theme song. Wow. And so that was a major, major moment for me. So coming home was awesome. Um, so much love. So many people uh, giving their well wishes and their, and their thoughts. And, and um, I mean, just to, to be in that moment, you know. Three years later, right? We back. We got to go at it again, right? World Championships. You came back. You got a, you got a silver as well, too. Then the next year we go back and now we're at another Olympic Games and you got second uh, at this game as well, too. But now the stakes is a little bit different. You've been there once before, Terrence, right? You know, you shocked the people. You probably shocked yourself. But now there's certain expectations that probably you, your coach and and everybody else kind of has for you now. Now you're not the rookie. You're the person who you got to watch out for this guy. What was the preparation leading into those games like? And when you got there, did you expect to medal this time around, right? Because you've done it before. Last game, you said, if I can get fourth, that's perfect. But mm-hmm. you, we've been there. We've done that now. What was it like for this game? And was which one was more special for you, would you say? So this was exactly the mindset. Uh, we've been there. We've done that. It's time to handle business. The goal was to get gold. Um, and so at this point, I'm, I'm back with my high school coach uh, training. And so we we had a long off season. We worked on strength. We worked on base training, that sort of thing. And I was just a little bit flat, you know, most of the year. We didn't really do the speed work like we needed. Um, It came at the perfect time, like right before the Olympic trials. And I kind of had some issues with tendonitis in my knee. And so. I was a little banged up, but I was starting to freshen up for the games. And 
that's when they came with the one race for four straight day format for the hurdlers. And um, it sucked, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I put my best foot forward for the final. But the semifinal day is when I felt my best. And that was day number three. And we coming back for day number four. And it was like, okay, can I get my body up to do this again? Yeah. You know? And so uh, being able to rise to the moment was huge for me. Um, but I was disappointed. I was disappointed that I didn't compete at the level that I felt I should have competed in the final. Um, I hit, I think it was hurdle six pretty bad. And that threw me just out of contention altogether, I thought. And so when I crossed the line and I saw that I had gotten another silver, it was like, okay, well, because at this point, I thought I had gotten fifth. You know, it was it really thrown off. And so um, I was a little disappointed because I felt like I was better than how I performed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know there's a difference in how athletes are treated who get the gold and who get the silver. You know, it's a little, it's a little bit different there. And so, um, and I understood that. So the silver lining was the fact that I meddled again. Yeah. Um, because it's, 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 it's a very difficult thing to do. Yes. Uh, and so I don't take for granted that I have meddled multiple times in an Olympic games. And that the medal was the exact same value. Yes, I wanted to step it up, but I didn't downgrade. And so <laughs> that was the blessing in it all. And even if I had to be a two-time Olympic medalist, I mean, there's a very, very rare uh, group to be in. Last few questions here, Terrence. I'm, um, I'm going to name three names again, and I just want you to give me a couple thoughts that come to mind. You know, I believe... Uh, you know, whether, whether, whether we call it a rivalry or someone calls it a rivalry, there are people that we compete against that ultimately make us better. Mm -hmm. um, first name I'm going to say is uh, Alan Johnson. What comes to mind? Mentor. Um, he really kind of took me under his wing and I saw how he prepared. And so it really confirmed what my high school coach said it's not the will to win it's the will to prepare to win and Alan had an aura about him that um, he had this air that when it's on the line you are going to get the very best version of Alan Johnson you know when 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 the chips are when when everything is on the line and so I just carried that you know I I, I tried to personify that myself now this next guy from a different country but probably raced him on the circuit a couple times you raced him at your first olympic games and near near garcia what comes to mind <laughs> um i would probably say um a dog mm. um this guy like just to understand their conditions in Cuba. Yeah. Um, and, and just to know how driven he was and for him to get uh, uh, two Olympic medals was huge as well. Um, I mean, we, we, okay. So quick story, we were in Japan when nine 11 happened. Hmm. So we were there, we were like stuck. Yeah. You know, we couldn't go anywhere. And so there was several days before the meet. And so everybody was just kind of hanging around. And, yeah. and anything that we did from a competitive standpoint, if it was basketball, if it was pool, if it was breakdancing, like literally it was breakdancing, yeah. it was breakdancing. They were drinking like he did whatever. I watched this guy. This was the last meet of the year. This was in September, okay? <laughs> and you know, in September, it's like, all right, 
He was holding it home. It's football season. You know what I mean? So we are done. We're done. Like we we're done. And this guy's been drinking every day. And he comes out and he runs 13-1 in this meet. And I was just like, I can't believe this dude is just but but yeah, I mean, (laughs) shout out to Anir, man. Big time, big time uh athlete, strong competitor, you know. Last name, um Li Zhang. So anomaly is what I'll say. Um this kid came on the scene in 2003, I want to say, or 2002. And in 2003, um, he got bronze, you know, in the world championships. And then in 2004, he's a whole nother, you know, caliber of athlete. I mean, he definitely had the potential. I mean, he he was running 13-1 before he just really just took off. So it was there. Really consistent. Um, the thing about Lou is once, once you get to like hurdle seven, eight, nine, and 10, you kind of struggle to keep your hips up in between. And he didn't have that struggle. He knew how to keep the momentum going and keep his hips up. Um, and so... He was extremely tough to beat on a consistent basis. Mm. Um, however, let me say, I did get him the last two times that we raced. Hey. And, 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 and one was in his hometown. So um, that, that counts for like 10 wins. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he beat me more than I beat him, but I think I gut punched him the hardest. <laughs> so I'll, 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 I'll be satisfied with that one. Last two questions, Terrence. You know, I don't think I don't think many people, um, maybe this generation, don't know as much uh, that you were one of the first, if not the first, to wear your own apparel. Right? How'd you go about that? Right? Like, where? Like, where did that come from? Because you know, so many times, you know, we turn on the TV and we see the New Balance outfit, the Nike outfit, the Adidas outfit, right? But there's also a lot that comes with it, too. Sometimes they're just on a gear deal. They're not necessarily making money. It's just on a gear deal. But why was it important for you to make that transition to run your own stuff? Because that is not only belief, that's courage as well, too. So for me, I was with Mizuno from 2000 to 2008. And I guess after I got injured at the 2008 games, they had already seeing me make, you know, silver after silver. And I guess they felt like at 29, that was probably my last time being able to be as effective. And so what they started to do was push toward distance. Mm. So I'm out of a contract at this point. And so the big question was, is Terrence healthy? Because what everybody remembers from 2008 was, I pulled up at the games. Yeah. Um, little did they know, like at the games, I was in 12-7 shape because that's what we had worked on. And, you know, it was, it was like a freak occurrence. Um, so 2009, I had to kind of prove myself. My goal was to kind of unveil my apparel like after retirement. That mm-hmm. was the goal. And so because nobody came with anything or nobody came with anything that would allow me to sustain kind of what I had built up for myself, I just said, you know, I'm going to rock my own stuff. And so I'm going to do what I know I can do from that standpoint, from a design and a creativity standpoint. And so that's what I did. And so the first couple of uniforms were kind of like, okay. <laughs> and then it got better as I went along and, and, and was able to team up with the right team to get my stuff done just like I, I wanted it. But um, Did you catch a lot of slack from that, Terrence? Like, did people look at you a little differently? Like, man, what's this guy doing? Yeah. I mean, anytime you stand out, you know, it, it's, it's, it draws that type of attention. 
but I was still winning, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was still winning. Uh, as a matter of fact, that year I had, I had almost broken the American record in the indoor hurdles that year. And so that made it really good for me because I had the opportunity to wear my brand while I was having such a successful season. Yeah. And so it helped out a great deal. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's what kind of spearheaded it all. It was the idea came from looking for a way to brand track athletes uh, beyond the track. And I talked with uh, one of the top people from our NGB and I could tell from the conversation he heard it, but he really wasn't listening. It. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. And so that's what I did. And, um, you know, that's, that's how we got the shoe covers and, and, and all of the different little things. So I could literally match from head to toe. I remember when I saw it, I'm like, man, how do I get a pair of these? His brother's cold with it, man. So <laughs> I I appreciated it. I know many others did as well, too. Uh, last question that I have for you, Terrence. And it's a it's a bit of a loaded question because it comes with a lot of emotion with it as well, too. You know, uh, 2021, during the pandemic, right, you were elected to the National Track and Field Hall of Fame. You know, everything that you kind of said that you wanted to do, you were able to accomplish right? The process behind it, you were able to do it regardless of how long it took, but it didn't really take that long, right? Because God gave you this, this skill set, but this mind frame that helps you get there. Um, but throughout that whole process, Terrence, you know, every day isn't always perfect. It's not always smooth sailing. There's injuries that you were battling with. There's people who start to doubt. There's people who believed one time and then now they don't. A lot of uncertainty, um, a lot of things that you're not sure how it's going to play out. So when you were elected, you got the call, you got the news. Man, sum up, how did it make you feel? Because there's a lot to it, but how did it make you feel? Um, and what do you think it does for people? Because I've always said hope needs to be seen and shown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a major statement there. Um I, I could exhale, I guess. <laughs> that See, I understand that completely. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> I could exhale because um, I looked on YouTube and I was voted as one of the top 10 most underrated track athletes, you know, mm. of our time. And I know I had a lot of consistency. Uh, I felt like there should have been probably about three more goals than, than, than I got, you know? Um, but that's the competitiveness was what's the point of going out there if you're not trying to go all the way. Yeah. And so um, the thing that, that it did was okay. So what I did and what I was able to accomplish did matter. Mm-hmm. It, it, it did it did shed some light on my contribution to the sport. And that's the thing. And so initially when you were coming with the question before I knew what it was, the two words that came to mind, if I were to share with anyone is keep going, just keep going. Mm. Uh, a race that has never been finished has never been won, mm. regardless of what place you come in. Yeah. Just keep going. When you feel like you want to give up, when you feel like uh, the worst is bound to happen, <laughs> uh, running from it will not save you. See it through. <laughs> you have to do that. You know, Terrence, man. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation, man. Um, as we as we close out, what is the best way for people to stay in touch with you? Um, but I also want to ask, uh, what is there a scripture that 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 uplifts you when you feel 
exactly like how you said, man, to keep going? Is there something of that for you? And then uh, let us know the best way to keep in touch with you for the audience. So really quickly, um, the best way to get in contact with me would be from uh, Instagram, uh, which is Tremel Athletics. Uh, I also have a Hall of Fame hurdler on Instagram and uh, Twitter kind of screwed up my handle. It was supposed to be Hall of Fame hurdler, but they left out Hall of. And so it's just fame hurdler. <laughs> uh <laughs> And Tremel Athletics, you can catch me on Tremel Athletics at all on all platforms, pretty much. Um, and a scripture that um, when I'm down, Jeremiah 29 and 11 is always a good one. Mm. You know, um, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you hope in the future come on now yeah. so 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 that's that and i have to tell myself this at times because the saying is true that god didn't bring us this far to leave us you know we are a royal priesthood and if the messiah came down and was faced with all types of hatred and scrutiny how are we different from that? And so, you know, we in a, we're in a society now where likes mean so much to us. We want people outside, you know, that gives us our validation. And so we live for likes. And the biggest thing that you have to do is not only like, but love yourself and let those things be, uh, let the lights from the outside be the fruit that you liking and loving yourself on the inside bear. Mm. And it can be tough because we're force fed a lot of these things. Yeah. And so you gravitate toward what you see. And so, you know, with that being the case, um, love yourself, yeah. love yourself, start off there. And, and, and I'm not saying from a self aggrandizing view but many of us look at ourselves from a perspective of I'm not good enough. Am I good enough? Oh, it'll never happen. You know, you're, you're, you're speaking that doom over your life. Um, so that's what I would say. Love yourself. Give yourself, be patient with yourself. Give yourself a little bit of leeway. You know, God loves you regardless he just wants you to know that. He just wants you to know that by the way you treat yourself and the way you treat others. So, you know, you know that 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 list they said you top ten underrated. Well, they switch it to top top five most respected. You're definitely on that list, man. So, I uh, <laughs> I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you sharing um, everything with us today. And um, thanks, thanks again, man. Have a great rest of your day, man. Uh, we'll be in touch soon. You too, King. Thanks. Take care.